Mitchell McKnight. Mitchell McKnight. This episode's for you, man. Oh, oh, triangle back. Triangle back. Triangle back. No, you could have been a wonder. Taking your circus to the sky. You couldn't take it on the tightrope. No, you had to take it on the side. You always like it on the cover. Welcome to No Filler, the music podcast dedicated to sharing the often overlooked hidden gems that fill the space between the singles on our favorite records. In each episode, we'll dive into a little history of the artist and the album of choice, with snippets from interviews and concerts, as well as music from the album itself. On this week's episode, we're going to be diving into Kings of Leon's 2003 debut album, Youth and Young Manhood. I'm here with my brother Travis, as per usual. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> what? what? As per usual. You like that? Yeah, I'm doing fine. I'm doing just fine. I'm excited to talk about uh, Kings of Leon. I think they were a pivotal band in our in, in our youth and young manhood queue. Look at what you did there, just right off the bat, bro. I agree. Um, so especially this album in particular, man, this um, is, yeah. I can still just listen to it. You know what, man, this might be the first legitimate, no filler album that we've covered so far. As far as literally every single song on this record is a true, no filler song. Yeah. There's no, there's no bad tracks all the way through. It's a, it's a great listen, man. It's, it's a blast. Yeah, I, I agree. So Kings of Leon is a band that really uh, exploded around 2008, 2009. That's when they hit the world stage and their songs were were blasting on every radio station, every every hit radio station. And that's when they started seeing critical success. Our first introduction to them was in 2005, 2006, perhaps, when we saw them open for The Strokes. And we'll talk about that more when we start the episode but first actually travis you're definitely wrong on that man how wrong am i uh we we knew about kings of leon before um aha shake heartbreak came out and that came out in 2004 so so do you uh, think we saw them in 2004 hold on no we saw them in 2003 i looked up the you're kidding the exact tour nope so we were Um, we were 16 yeah okay um so room on fire so backtrack we saw kings of leon open for the strokes and they were the supporting act for the strokes room on fire album which came out in october of 2003 i looked it up we saw them in november of that year okay so that was yeah. So Room on no. Fire just came out. So and, and they had just put out Youth and Young Manhood, right? Or were they still touring off that EP? No, they were touring for for Youth and Young Manhood because Youth and Young Manhood came out in July 
of 2003 in the UK and in August of 2003 in the US. Yeah, okay, so they so were touring it, it for just Youth hit. and Young Men. Okay, cool. All right, but all right, Q. So let's let's hold off a little bit and uh, do what uh, a little our little weekly segment here that we call "What You Heard," uh, where we like to pick pick a band that we've been listening to lately and and kind of just share our track before we get into the the meat of the episode. So Q, what you heard and what you've been listening to lately? Yeah, so I've been listening to a lot of, like, I mean, just because of Kings of Leon, I've been listening to a lot of, like, Southern rock, bluesy stuff uh, over the last week, just kind of while I've been, you know, researching these guys. And one band that, that I actually uh, had listened to a while back, uh, they're called Lonesome Shack. I, I believe it's just three dudes. Uh, they're based up here in Seattle. Um, they're just like, I think they're described, they've described themselves as, um, like haunting blues, haunting blues. Okay. Yeah. Uh, haunted boogie and blues is what it says. It says primitive rock haunted boogie and blues on their band camp page. Okay. So, so wait, hey, it's that kind of, now what's the name of the game again? Let me, let me look. So, up. so they're called lonesome shack, lonesome shack. Yeah. Cause I think, uh, I have, a, I have an idea of of probably what they mean by primitive rock, but keep, keep going. Well, they actually have a, uh, they had an album that came out in 2014 called more primitive. So the, probably what they mean is they are completely stripped of, uh, you know, effects and all that stuff. It's not going to be over-processed kind of like in the way that, that the white stripes would record their stuff, you know? Right, right, right. Uh, bare bones kind of blues. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, which is how it should be, if you're gonna do some. You know, if you're gonna do blues, blues yeah, you know. I agree. Yeah. So I'm looking it up now. It's actually just two guys. It's Ben Todd who sings, plays guitar, and Christian Gerard who plays drums. Okay. Oh, so, okay. So it's a okay. So that's like. So it's like it's like the White Stripes. Well, no, you know? no that's it's like more, the Black Keys. Yeah, but yeah, black, that, exactly, Black Keys. It's that stripped down, yep. bare bones blues, dude. It's my that's my favorite kind. It's like, yeah, it's the it's the. The blues that Samuel L. Jackson sang on the movie Black Snake Bone. Okay, that's the kind of blues that I that I love. That's the only kind of blues that I really like, and it's it's actually harder to find blues like that than you'd think. Yeah. Um. Anyways, Lonesome Shack, the album that I was checking out again this week is one that I absolutely love from them. I've heard, I've listened to a few of their albums. The one, the reason I like this one, it's called City Man. Came out in 2012. It's actually a live recording um, from uh, this venue called. It's called the Cafe Racer. It's up here in Seattle. Uh, and what I like about it is, I mean, you you kind of just get transported to to that night. You know, to this to the set. You can hear um, the audience members. Even like throughout each song, like sometimes you'll hear hear someone like go like go like yeah during like a part in the song, you they're know, because get, getting it, into it, they're just like really getting into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just the whole the overall feeling of this album is really really cool. And um, I'm gonna share the third track on the album. It's called Bad Luck, and I don't believe they actually did a proper studio recording of the song, so. This live version is is the only one that you can hear, really. Um, so yeah, here's here's a little clip of it. Yeah. 
I love it, man. Fucking yeah, love it. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just your classic, yeah, gritty, you know, stripped down uh, blues song. Yeah, you know, with a little I bit love of it, bite. To it, it. Yeah, it's just. I mean, it's. I like the way he they set up this song too, and and that's if you listen to this album all the way through, this is what they do. Like it, because it's just the two of them. Um, I don't know. They kind of. I wouldn't say they play off each other. But like the drums are always kind of just more of like a driving beat, um, you know. Actually, kind kind of like old gospel music, you know, like the stomping your feet on the ground kind of stuff. Well, yeah, that I mean, that reminds me a lot of the early Black Keys stuff, like Rubber Factory and right, Chula exactly, and all that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, which was why Black Keys were so like, like. Uh, because you know the white stripes have always had had some flair to them you know as far as like uh, it's funny because are you talking about like the way they dressed and and presented yeah, themselves just yeah I mean yeah it was a little gimmicky that's kind of I think I, I feel like the black keys that's why they named themselves the black keys because like we well, got the white stripes you know which could almost be considered like the the, the ivory keys on a piano let's call ourselves the black keys because we're gonna be a little Holy bit darker. Holy shit, brother. I never even thought of that. I, you just blew my mind, I don't, bro. Dude, I don't, no, okay, now I don't know if the White Stripes are called themselves I, uh, or naming themselves after the the uh, the piano keys, but I know for a fact that the black keys, they're talking about the keys on the piano. For sure, but brother, good on you, man, because that's awesome. <laughs> I think that's I probably because, that I mean, true. black keys are, are darker way darker than the white stripes as far as their early yeah. stuff, their early blues stuff that they were doing was more in line with this. Yep. But anyways, same with Meg white. This drummer keeps it super simple. Right. He just drives the song along. Doesn't try to do anything fancy. Uh, my favorite part about this song is. So if you notice the way that right when the drummer comes in at the beginning of the song, he hits a snare and crash at the same time, um, and the and the the opening line in the song is "Must be my gun," and then that snare and crash sounds like a gunshot. Okay, um, cool. And yeah, then that's cool. Like thirty seconds into the song, uh, the drummer kind of like does a tiny little fill and stops, and then they all kind of they both stop together, and then he starts back again in the same way that he starts the song. And they start back in with kind of that gunshot sound. It's really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say that, like, you know, for blues, I feel like the drum drums have always been really simple. 
in blues because like, very simple you know you don't even need a drummer like a lot of times there's just a guy and a guitar stomping his feet you know yep so yeah yeah good man. stuff good stuff yeah um and yeah I, I thought it was funny at the if you listen to the song all the way through like i said they keep the the audience track you know you know they they keep the mm-hmm. claps in and everything at, at the end of your song and i'm pretty sure it's on this one some guy in the audience goes like I like that one, man. It <laughs> like claps. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you it was a tiny venue, dude. Yeah, I've been, I haven't been up there, but um, yeah, it's up. I think it's up, like in the university district, which means nothing to people that don't live up here. But yeah, I kind of, I'm definitely gonna go check out the venue at some point. I mean, it's if they play blues, you know, stuff like that. I, yeah, I'd love to go check it out. But so Lonesome Shack right now, they're they're touring in like the UK and Europe. So I'm just anxiously waiting because they're bound to come back to their hometown. And some I've, I've been wanting to see them uh, for a while now. Anyways, so what have you been listening to this week, brother? What you heard? All right. So just like you, I'm I typically kind of to prepare for whatever episode, whatever band we're going to talk about. I usually try to like dive into their influences a little bit dive into to similar similar bands, you know, in the same genre. So I did kind of a I went back to the early Almond Brothers stuff because I read the Pitchfork review for Youth and Young Manhood. And uh as you can imagine, Q, I disagree with the Pitchfork guy. I actually um, went and read that too. Yeah. They, he gave him a pretty high rating. Like no, I think it was seven out of ten. No nah, dude. For the for the for the single for Holy Roller Never King the single it was seven out of ten. Okay, for that's what I Manhood, read. It was four point two. So, I don't think we've brought up our hatred for Pitchfork yet on oh. this on this podcast, dude. Hmm. I thought we brought Let's that do up it real up. quick. Okay, so I think Pitchfork is kind of infamous for their. Uh, hypercriticalness i guess I man it's pre- i it, feel like every writer on pitchfork is pretentious like pinkies up highbrow i don't even know if it's that dude. i think it's just like that is what they're i think that that is a a that's intended to 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 uh to be controversial with with their with what they say i think that's how they get like how, that's, like, that's the how they pitchfork. gain attention yeah, I think that's how they. Like uh, I got my fucking pitchfork. Let's fucking roast these this band. Yeah, let's let's get real here, dude. We talk about pitchfork because of the because of their reviews, right? So I mean, they definitely gain a lot of attention by by being because when you look at when you look at youth and young manhoods uh, like scores with other publications, uh, you know, NME gave them nine out of ten. Rolling Stone. You know, four out of NME five. NME fucking creamed their pants when that this album exactly. came out, dude. So that's what I'm saying. So Pitchfork <laughs> said, and you know, you can't. This is smart. Pitchfork said, "Hey man, let's just, you know, bash the shit out of all albums that we review, for the most part, because that's what's going to get us attention. Because a lot of times it's good to read go go and go and read a negative review instead of reading nothing but positive reviews. So it's good to hear the other perspective. But usually when you it's read a Pitchfork yeah, review, you're like, "What the f- are you talking about?" You know? Right. I guess you see a different perspective on it. But right. I mean, it's not to say that every single Pitchfork re- Pitchfork review of is a negative one. Yeah, of course. But it seems like every band that I love, Pitchfork shits on. Right. 
And that, that, that's, that's no coincidence, man. It's just not. So anyway. The, uh, I'm sorry, dude. Yeah, that was a, kind of a tangent. That's so fine. Let's yeah, go back. Yeah. Well, you know, so what have you been listening to? No, but but the, the reason I brought up Pitchfork is because he's uh, the guy. Or let me make sure. Yeah. So the so the guy that reviewed Youth and Younger Manhood talked about uh, the Almond Brothers when talking about because basically what basically what his his thing about Kings of Leon like his critique yeah of Kings of Leon was oh well they'll you know they're they're referred to as a Southern rock band. But, and then he went on and said, like, you know, they don't have the craftsmanship and technical proficiency of the Allman Brothers, and they don't have the storytelling of Leonard Skinner or the... Oh, my God. Yeah, so it's like, okay, uh, that's fine, but that's not what Kings of Leon were trying to do with this album. They're not about the proficiency. Of course they're not. Okay, so so I'm like, let's dive into Allman Brothers, which I did, because I wanted to be like, all right. Smarty pants, you know. No, I know that. I know that Almond Brothers, their guitar work is really, really great. Like that's what they're known for. But I wanted to go back to their early stuff, you know, just to kind of, to kind of hear, like, because you know, I don't know if I'd consider them a southern rock band. Uh, I feel like their early stuff was more. Blues I can't even based. think of an Almond Brothers song off the top of my uh, head. Ramblin' dude. Man. Okay. Boy, I was born around me. Oh yeah, man, dude, that's Southern rock. That, that is, song for sure. But I'm saying their earlier stuff is more blues based. Okay. So anyway. So and so you've got a. a uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to. This is such a cool song, man. I love this this track. Uh, it's called Revival. It's off their second album. So is this the first time? That, like, did you just discover this song? This no, week? I had, I had, I had heard this a while back, uh, but I had never really done a, a true deep dive into Allen Brothers. So I sort of kind of skipped through some of the early stuff and listened to quite a bit of it. And I, it, 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 man, if you're, if you're a guitar player, uh, Allen Brothers is, is like, fuck, they're awesome. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're almost like a, they're almost yeah. like a guitar jam band almost. Like one of their, uh, cool. you know, really well-known hits is, um, damn it, what's it called, man? I'm drawing a blank. Hold on. You're going to cut it up. You're going to cut it out. <laughs> yeah. Hang on, dude. I'll help you out. First one to find the answer is the king of Google. But you don't even know what I'm talking about. Okay, it's called it's called Blue Sky. So, yeah, so one of their songs, Blue Sky, it's like five minutes long. The bridge, which is the, the you know, the middle of the song, it's three minutes. It's a three-minute guitar solo. What? Not like a three minutes of, of nothing but guitar. So that's what I'm talking about. Like they are a guitar band. And so when Mr. Pitchfork over here is saying, well, Kings of Leon don't have, they don't have the technical proficiency of an Almond Brothers. It's like, well, that's not because they're not, do, they're not doing Almond no, Brothers. It, dude, they're doing the, Kings all, of Leon. All you got to say to that is that's because they're not the Almond Brothers. Exactly. Dude. So anyway. <laughs> Who gave you this fucking mic, man? Like, how did you get this soapbox? You know what I'm saying? Because he writes for Pitchfork and he's got to be controversial. That's that's all it is. All right. So, all right. So this is yeah. So like I said, this is revival. Uh, it's the 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 lead single off of their second album, uh, Idle Wild South. That's what it's called. Idle. I, that's hard to say, dude. Idle Wild South came out in Idle 19 Wild. 
South. Yeah, Idle Wild South came out in 1970. So let's let's listen. To this. this is literally just the intro. It's a good it's a good length, but uh, you got to get to the when he starts singing to to kind of hear the full impact of this. How cool this intro is, and then I'll talk about it uh, just a, just briefly, and then we'll dive into Kings of Leon. So let's hear it. So yeah, that was lovely. Uh, yeah, fantastic, right? So yeah, um, guitar-driven, dude. That's what they're all about, and uh, super technical proficiency, like the Pittsburgh guy was saying. But uh, that's what they—that's what they did, man. That's what they were all about. So, I'm gonna say something that might be bold here. All right. Because so this is the first time I've heard that song. Okay. Um, obviously, I don't know that much about Allman Brothers. Um, that's like. So as far as proficient, like technical proficiency or whatever, mm-hmm. they remind me of yes, early yes. Yeah. Well, you know, and this is, I've always felt that 60s and 70s rock had a complexity to it that died in the 80s. As far Dude, as like. it died hard. Big It died time. hard in the 80s. But like, you know. You listen to the Ramones, and that was the whole point of punk in the '80s. Was let's just dumb this down, learn you know, do some power chords, and just be really loud, you know, which is fine. Right. Like that's yeah. Great. So you had you had the emergence of punk, right? And at the same time, the emergence of like the synthesizer, and right? Like because the drum machine. musicians musicians were handed these other instruments and like these other yeah, tools. Yeah, so it like died synth- hard, yeah. man. So like that's what I love about. The early 60s 70s rock music like this i feel like people just don't uh, rock music has stopped being about the guitar uh in the 80s rock music mainstream rock music you know what i mean if you want to hear yeah. a good good guitar you you go down the path of of heavy metal because metal is always about the guitar 
It's always about guitars. You know what I mean? Right. If you want to hear guitar solos, metal has always had guitar solos, man, for the most part. So anyway, um, so what's great about Kings of Leon to start to segue into Kings of Leon is that they are a rock band in like a very pure in like a pure, well, pure form of rock. Hang on, dude. Let's say let's say I think we need to clarify. Early Kings of Leon. Yes. We're a true rock band. Uh, yeah. They're no longer that, man, unfortunately. Well, yeah, well, it's we'll sad, but we'll, it's true. We'll get into that. But but we're talking about their very first album today because that's the that's the band that we were introduced to. Yes. When they were when they were just starting out and they were kind of discovering rock music and making great music at the same time. Like they're, they're, a, they're the band that, that weren't raised on rock and roll, found it and were learning how to play while they were, while they were discovering these bands. You know what I mean? And that's, I yeah, think that's why that's they're a good the, point, dude. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Cause, um, so, yeah, so let's let's jump into their history a little bit here, okay, and kind of build from there. So let's just start off by saying, for one, this is a, a true family band. It's yes. three brothers and a cousin. Yep, the Follow Wills. Follow Will is that how you say Follow Will? Follow Will. Follow Will. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, their origin story. Uh, is sort of a rock and roll myth, like it's it's like a mythical. It sounds made up. It, it really does yeah. sound made up. So the 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 short version is, their father was a traveling preacher, and yeah, so he was a and so they were sons of a preacher man. Sons of a preacher man, a uh, holy roller. <laughs> yep. Uh, so absolutely, dude. He was a Pentecostal preacher. Yeah, and so Caleb, Nathan, and Jared, the brothers, uh, spent most of their childhood in the backseat of a 1988 purple Oldsmobile, traveling uh, the south with their father, Yvonne Followell. Yeah, so they so they were they homeschooled. Were born in Tennessee, right? They were either born in ten- Tennessee or, or Oklahoma. Yeah, I all I know is that for sure they like. They spent most of their time traveling between Oklahoma City and Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah, and they were not, you know, rock and roll was uh, was not allowed. That was considered secular music. You exactly. Know? They were not. They did not grow up on that shit. They, yeah, right. They they grew up on on gospel music, which you know plays a part in in their in their songwriting and their music and how they you know it's part it is part of like it's part of it. You know what I mean? It is. Well, so, at least for sure on their early stuff, the stuff that we're covering today, for sure. Yeah. yeah one of the songs that we're going to play. Um, yeah. It's got that feel. It's got that gospel feel to it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, you know, that's the idea. And then they were, I think their, their parents divorced. Um, yeah. So in 1997, their, their parents split. Um, and on top of that, their father, Leon. So hang on, dude. We didn't even mention their father's name is Leon, Kings of Leon. Yeah, his middle name is Leon. Yeah, Yvonne oh, his middle name, Leon. Okay. Yvonne Leon Followell. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so so he yeah. not only does he, their you know their parents split in 1997, 
And he leaves, he resigns from the church in 97. Obviously, that's a huge shakeup for the family. Yeah. And then it's in that same year, Nathan and Caleb, which are the, the older brothers of the three, move to Nashville, Tennessee. So they just bounce. They're just like, all right, well, we're going to go do our own thing now. Um, in 97, they had to be in their teens. I don't, I don't know for sure how old they were. Um, but yeah, they moved to, to Nashville in hopes of getting into the music business. It was just them two at first. Cause didn't they have a little, a little, they would sing at churches and stuff. They were called the follow will brothers. Right. And they, were, Oh yeah. And they tried yeah, during, to, to uh, like, yeah. 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 And they, they, they sang gospel songs. Yeah. They sang gospel songs, uh, with their mother. So Nathan which is the oldest of the brothers. He, he's the drummer. Nathan played drums to accompany his father on the bass and his mother on piano. And they would play 15-minute sets. And so, yeah, man, they were, they were in, like, their, their father would preach, and then they would also, the family would provide the music, you know, the worship gospel songs for, okay. the, for the services. Yeah, that's funny, man. Yeah, yeah, that's, okay. Yeah, that, and again, it's like you like you can't you can't you can't write this stuff, man. That's so perfect, like the story. Seriously, of how they started and formed, and so now I'm reading here, Q, that they named their band after their grandfather, who was also named Leon. Oh, really? Okay. So anyway, either way, it's named after a male figure in their lives. So when did they start hearing rock music? Well. So, 1997, oldest brothers, Nathan and Caleb, they move out to Nashville. And they meet this guy named Angelo Petraglia. And this guy uh, turns them on to bands like the Rolling Stones. Uh, He gets them into Johnny Cash. Um, And he actually stuck around and he's... uh, I mean, I guess you'd call him a friend of theirs. He also ended up producing uh, their first EP and also producing Youth and Young Manhood. So, they're tr- like the true secular music they didn't really get into until they moved into Nashville. Because before that, they were they were into like the more clean artists, um, like Jimmy Reed, Chuck Berry. Stuff like that. Uh, they grew up on that stuff. So yeah, Key, I've got a cool quote here from the, from one of the articles I read that's uh, relevant here. So I read a couple of articles um, in Guitar World magazine. They inter- so Guitar World would interview both Caleb and Matthew because they're the guitar players of the group. And uh, Guitar World did an interview in 2009 right before they kind of exploded, right? Or while they were in the process of exploding. Um, and then they did another article interview on them two years later called Kings of Rock, Kings of Leon. So basically, the two times that they were interviewed, they were already like on the rise. You know what I mean? And so oh, they were way, yeah. Dude, by the time 2011 came out, they were huge. They were giants. Huge. So anyway, um, 
there's a uh, quote from Caleb. Uh, he's talking about their early influence influences. He says, um, he says, I can remember watching TRL Total Request Live on MTV when I was 16 years old, and it was Limp Bizkit, Britney Spears, Corn, NSYNC, Eminem. Dude, that was the same time that. You and I were watching TRL, man. Uh, I know. We were a little bit younger than that. But yeah, I remember that exact era of Total Request Live. Yeah. So anyway, he says, I was like, man, I I don't get it. Because I was still listening to the oldies. I was still catching up. Which is, I like that that he phrases it that way, that he was still catching up. Yeah, that's cool. He says, uh, I was listening to early rock and roll, doo-wop, big band music. Yeah, and that's what I mean by clean. You know what I mean? Like, they, they... It's not like they were completely shut off from rock and roll. Yeah, I I just love that he says that he he was, he wasn't ready for this new stuff because he was still catching up through rock. You know what I mean? You can't really get to corn, which you know corn has its merits, but you can't really get to corn without going backwards. If you haven't heard all the stuff that precedes corn, you hear corn and you're like, what the am I listening to here? Seriously, dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. especially with you know in, in the context of like metal and, and hard rock you know yeah it's it, that would sound alien yeah. to, to someone like absolutely. that absolutely so anyway so they were listening to stuff like the stones um thin lizzy probably a little bit later and it, you're pro- this is probably around, yeah probably around the time that they they were uh in in Nashville and then in the year 2000 is when their youngest brother Jared uh Moves up, moved up there, moved to Tennessee, uh, along with their cousin Matthew. So that's when they all started fucking around on their instruments and yeah. and practicing and playing together. Uh, Two thousand, around that time. And then I'll just say real quick: by two thousand two, they had interest from nine different record labels, um, and then they ultimately signed with RCA. So before we play a clip from Youth and Young Manhood, I think we should play a clip from their mega hit, just kind of as a contrast uh, to kind of how they sound now. Um, and it'll help kind of give context to like, here's the band that we fell in love with, and here's the band that... that well, yeah, it's funny, because I'm about to play this clip, yeah, and it's going to be like, oh, yeah, that song. I guarantee you, yeah. you're gonna know this song. Right. If you don't know who Kings of Leon is, you know you've heard this song for sure. Yeah, you'll know this song. So we're talking about the song "Use Somebody," which was on, I believe, it was on "Because of the Times," which came out in 2007. Yes. Yeah. So, yep, here's that song that you've heard on the radio a fucking bajillion times. That's all I'm going to play, dude. <laughs> That's all you need to hear. Yeah. Man. That's all you need to hear. Okay, so, th- dude, it's perfect to play that because let's do Joe's Head as the first clip. No. Well, dude, and here's a, and we can talk about this if you want, but here's why that was their first mega hit, dude. It's got the the it's got the millennial whoop as they've as it's been called. The 
Every song has done this in the past five years, five to ten years. It's the You're talking uh, about the uh Yes, man. That yeah. has become a staple for it's almost a check that you have to that, that you have to you got a box you gotta check if you want your your single to get on the radio. Well that makes me think that that was probably added on later. Like I bet they're possible. Fucking but no, okay. Producer or the record no, label is like, okay, hey, no. can you add in that millennial whoop, guys? Cute. Now, now here's where things get interesting. Okay, here we go. All right. I think it's easy. It's always easy to be like, well, it's the it's that damn record label that took the band that I love. You're right. And, Absolutely. And made them sound like what I don't like. Right. That's the story that I tell. When I'm talking about Kings of Leon. But that's probably the story for some bands. But uh, here's here's a quote from uh, from Matthew. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna read you two quotes back to back. One from Caleb and one from Matthew. So this is from a 2009 interview with Guitar World. So they're just asked about their evolving sound, right? And Caleb goes, "People want you to stay as you are." They want your fourth record to be like your first. They get nervous when you change your haircut or tamper with your sound. But we had to evolve. We don't want to be this little cult band. Our hunger is bigger than that. Our destiny is larger than that. We want the world. I don't think that's a bad dream to chase. Now, here's what Matthew had to say. Here's his response to that question. Our first few records did just fine and they got us a lot of attention but the only way that this could be happening, and then he like motions his hand around at the nice hotel that they're staying in or whatever, uh, he says, uh, was by making songs that connected with the masses. If you want to call that being a sellout, well, shit, that's your right. But I know in my heart we're not. So there you go, Q. He's, they are talking to us, you and I, the, 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 the fans that got on early and weren't happy with with what we heard on the fourth album, you know, and beyond. Well, let me ask you this, brother. Could you see me shaking my head now? The, almost the entire time. Shaking your head this? as in disappointment? Yes. Yeah. And let me tell you, look, dude, earlier today, I listened to their album from last year. Walls? Or it's called Walls. Mechanical Bull. No, Walls. Okay. Mechanical Bull came out came out in 2013. Walls just came out last year. I thought Walls came out this year. No, man. Okay. It came out in 2016. I'll tell you this right now. I've never been more disappointed in an album. I'm not just saying that, dude. <laughs> not one memorable song on the record. It was depressing. Okay, so in that case, you would probably agree with Pitchfork. <laughs> when they gave walls of 4.5 you probably agree Dude, with that. i would give it less than that man yeah okay <laughs> it is straight up it's just a fucking money maker now for them yeah and that's fine dude they, yeah. they're they're growing but, they're growing but, up but like they've grown up now they've got families when you listen to the quote the quote that i just said i get that that but, but i know but what i'm saying is like that was that was at the origin of them looking to the future and being like we're gonna sell out arenas you know, and now this is the product of that. When did that? When when were they quoted on that? Two thousand nine. Okay. So now this is this is you know, hey, they got what they wanted, but now they're making mediocre records. That that that's, that, yeah. that that, that, that you know blow. What? Yeah, that's the 
But that's what they wanted, man. They got what they that's wanted. That's the end game for for most bands, right. right? I mean, look at look at Coldplay. Right. All right. So, but hey, let's just step back a little bit here because this this episode is supposed to be about why we love youth and young manhood. So. Yeah, so no, let's we got just, that out of the way. Let me just say that the reason we kind of went on a tangent here is is because we love this album so much and, and uh, we uh, love uh, Kings of Leon, man. Well, like it's yeah. it's like watching someone that you really care about. Right. Fucking I mean change, you know, well, change for you know, and we, in my yeah. opinion change for the worse, but that's just because but you know, but, I uh, it's that dude, it's that selfish Right. It, it, it's, if you're a fan of a band, yes. you don't want them to change. It's exactly like what they were saying. You don't want them to change, but but if I'm fine with a band changing, but you know, look at look at a band like Spoon, which we're going to cover uh, heavily. Oh, Spoon, you can do no wrong. When you look at Spoon, I love you, Brett Daniel. They they have evolved constantly from uh, from uh, series of snakes all the way to the album that just came out, but. It's 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 been spoon the whole time, you know what I mean? But uh, right, yeah. You listen to you somebody like listen to the, listen to music from Kings of Leon around that time, um, and then listen to Youth and Young Manhood. It, it totally is different. Two two different bands entirely. Yeah, but 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 when you re, when you hear that that's that that was what they had planned to do the whole time. That to me when it that's when it becomes disappointing because they're they're pretty much admitting. Yeah, we're, we're we're changing the way that we sound for the because we want to because we want to sell out arenas and, and become the biggest rock band on the planet. Yeah, they're they're admitting that's to selling the, out. That's the reason we're doing it. We're not doing it because you know that's the kind of music we want to write. We're doing it because we've got our eyes on. They want to take over the world. That's yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And they did. Fuck, Mission man. accomplished for a little bit, but but you know. So anyway, let's. So now that now that we've played you somebody, which. Most people have heard. I would. I would say. Yeah. Let's play the first clip from Youth Younger Manhood, uh, so we can hear the huge contrast, and then we can just from here on out just talk about everything that we love about early Kings of Leon. Yes, I'm hoping that there's there's some people that listen to this episode who know Kings of Leon, but have have literally never heard any of these songs. I don't know. I have no idea. That's that, a yeah. thing. You know, it's funny because I was, I was, I was talking, I've got some coworkers that, that, I, that I kind of bounce ideas off of as far as this podcast. You know, I was telling somebody, yeah, we're going to do Kings of Leon. And they go, oh yeah, I know Kings of Leon. And I said, oh yeah, do you know, do you know these guys? And I showed him a picture of what they looked like way back in the day. Mm-hmm. And he said, there's no way that's the same dudes. And I said, it's absolutely the wow. same dudes. So yeah, most people know exactly who Kings of Leon is, but they don't know. They don't know prior to the radio hits. Prior to so. because of the times. That's it, yeah, man. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So let's play. So the first track that we're gonna play is it's called Joe's Head. It's track four on the album. Uh, we got a couple clips to share. So here is the first one. It, it's just the beginning of the song. Falls 
Going from watching them perform for the Strokes to almost immediately buying this record and listening to it, the reason I kept going back to Kings of Leon and the reason I fell in love with them is it's it's the same thing that I look for when I'm listening to blues. It's that raw, yeah, no, I, yeah it's, it's genuine. Yeah, there's no, there's no. Uh... This yeah, and this is why when you hear Youth and Young Manhood compared to their later stuff, you're hearing like I said, what's interesting about this record is you're hearing dudes who who are literally like like here's how he came up with you know uh, Molly's Chambers. Yeah, one of the singles off this album. Simple, simple guitar riff. He literally wrote that riff right after his buddy who who um, was kind of teaching him, showing him how to play guitar showed him what a power chord was. He went he went back and was playing around with uh, Jared, uh you know, his the, the guy that plays bass, his brother. Right. And he just what would he would do the riff, the Molly's Chambers riff, and he'd be like, How'd that sound? How's that sound? All right, cool. Let's make that a song. Yeah, it's funny too, because so like, I've I've heard some interviews back around that time where I mean Jared admits to like you, you know, I mean we were just copying bands for a while. <laughs> Yeah, and that's because well, and, they and, are literally right. like three years in or so of of hearing all this music. You know, they yeah. were already and, and, and that's teenagers. The that, they were that's early twenties when they were introduced to to secular rock and roll. So that's fresh. Right, to and them. the pitch the pitchfork guy knocks them for that. You know, but that's what I love about it. It's like this is this is rock and roll from 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 guys that that are like fresh in it you know it's what I mean? the foul wells they just falling in love with it. rock and roll and almost immediately making a rock album because of that yeah and, and saying we got to start writing music like this yeah and then they did and then and like you and like what you're trying to say like there's i can't understand half the words that that caleb is singing on this record no yeah and especially yeah, because we, the, the other few songs that we're going to play and the second clip from joe's head yeah dude he gets right. He just starts screaming. But that's because. But that. But that's the thing. Uh, he doesn't need an entire arena to sing along for these songs. Right. So, and that's what I like about it, man. Yeah, dude. I can't tell what the hell he's saying, but that's uh, who cares, man. Yeah. It's it's just pure. It's just so pure. That's what I love about it's it. It's pure, and you know and, what? You know, even the way that they looked back then, the way they dressed, the beards. It and was everything. all thrift store. It was so. It was It was authentic. They man. didn't give a shit. Right. It was authentic. Yeah, they didn't care. So let's play the second clip. So yeah, so the second clip of Joe's head kind of hints at what I love about the way Caleb used to sing. Um, I'm just I'm just gonna play the clip and then we'll talk about it, dude. Apologies are falling out my feet. You get away with what you say. I had to put up a little hair and then look for circles 
I love it, man. I just love that's it. That's Kings of Leon, dude. Yeah, that's that. Ugh. Yeah, that. And let's 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 talk about how great the guitar and bass play, player and the drums, the, the you know, and Jared, uh, I think was the last to pick up the bass. Yes. Yeah. He. Yeah. He was like, "How do I get into this band? I want to be with my brothers and my cousin. I don't know how to play anything. I guess I'll learn how to play bass because it's the only instrument left." And that bass line is killer, man. It, it drives the whole song. Yeah, too. Absolutely, right from the, the beginning. The bass line dude. is what starts the song. Yeah, yeah. And, but you know, this second clip had a couple of really great guitar parts, the solo, and then that little kind of single string uh, riff uh, uh, version of the the riff, the main riff, I guess. Uh, right. But it's just great, man. What a great song. And yeah, like you said, he starts screaming essentially, uh, and you know that always and here's another thing kings of leon probably still to this day are a band that you've got to see live to see them especially when we saw them in their early days that screaming is like amplified you know and the energy that they brought to their live performances is what kept us going back it's what rock and roll is all about dude exactly so Again, it's like this was King. They were they were rock in like the 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 purest version of it. You know, really? the most pure version of rock. And so I think I don't I don't know. This is as good a time as any to. So I want to kind of do a little brief history on. So their father their father was a Pentecostal preacher, and uh, specifically. Pentecostalism, aka the Holy Rollers. You know, this is the church service you go to where you're going to see people speaking in tongue, writhing around, rolling around on the floor and stuff, like getting into the spirit. Yeah, that's 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 your Pentecostal church. Um, that has a pretty strong influence on the early origins of rock and roll. I'm intrigued. Um, Let's hear it. I mean, just to name, just to, just to name three huge i mean rock and roll legends that grew up in evangelical and pentecostal churches elvis presley little richard jerry lee lewis these people grew up on gospel music and they grew up in churches just like the falwell brothers and it's that the gospel music of these churches if you listen to old gospel tunes if you listen to singer songwriters that were either recording old gospel songs or writing their own, you can definitely hear the influence, man. Like, uh, man, especially Jerry Lee Lewis, dude. Yeah. And little Richard, yeah, the too. way he used to perform back in the day. Yeah. It, like, yeah, you can, you can hear some of that kind of spill into it, you know? Yeah. And so without getting crazy deep into this and like, cause I, you know, there's, there's some pretty great articles that we'll, we'll put, you know, we'll link to in the, in the show notes. Uh, about this, but I'm going to jump specifically to this one gospel singer. Uh, her name is Sister Rosetta Tharp, and she was apparently super popular in the 1940s. She was a gospel R&B crossover singer. Uh, she is actually both Little Richard and Johnny Cash's all-time favorite singer. Um, she has been credited as being the main link between the sacred and the secular. I like that line a lot. It was, uh, 
Interesting. from this article that I read uh, specifically about Pentecostalism and rock and roll. Uh, someone someone was quoted as, as calling her uh, a swinkopated manipulator of loud blues tones, a hymn-swinging evangelist. So she would sing a bunch of gospel standards, and she also wrote a bunch of gospel songs herself um, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Uh, but she was wielding this guitar, and she would play these bluesy, distorted guitar numbers along along with these gospel songs and it's it's really fucking awesome man uh i've got a little clip here i'm gonna play from this uh tv show in the 60s early 60s called tv gospel time uh and it was like a music variety show that featured a lot of the really big gospel music from that time and sister rosetta tharp performed on there uh and she played this gospel song that she wrote herself called up above my head i'm going to play a little bit of it um and you can really you really can see the huge influence that that she must have had and that that this type of music this gospel music had on on early rock and roll you know you're talking presley we're talking richard i think presley actually covered this song as well at one point anyways yeah so here is just a little clip of that um it's fucking great I mean, she's just shredding it on that guitar, man. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, man. dude. I like how yeah, she's like, I, I, let's do I that again. <laughs> <And> she just plays. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love it, dude. Yeah, that's, again, man, if, you know, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but uh, obviously I mean, rock and roll starts with blues, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, that's great, man. And, and you know, kind of ties back to your pick from earlier. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah good stuff. So yeah, let's let's uh, let's skip into the next Kings of Leon track here. So yeah, so let's just say real quick. I mean, think about it. This is you know, so these these brothers and cousin, they may not have grown up on on the quote unquote secular tunes. Um, you know, they're not that much older than than you and I. You know, so if if they didn't grow up in the type of household that they did, they would have been introduced to bands like the Rolling Stones. You know the Beatles, uh, fucking Zeppelin, all that. They would have been introduced to that at an early age. Instead, they were listening to stuff like this, Sister Rosetta Tharp. Yeah. You know right. Chuck Berry. But 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 uh, in my in my opinion, uh, 
Sister Rosetta Tharp could be, in some ways, a better start to... to if you're going to learn about rock and roll, it's probably better to start with her than to start with the Stones. It's like a framework, yeah. So the second track that we're going to share, it's called Tranny, track five on Youth and Young Manhood. Yeah, um, we're going to play a clip from the from the record, and then we're going to play a a, a, a live track, a live clip, correct? Yeah, so I've got, yeah, the first clip we're going to share is uh, the beginning of the song that, as you hear it on the record. And the second clip is is from Bonnaroo 2004. So, you know, a year, maybe a little less than a year after this album came out, they played Bonnaroo. Uh, they used to always close with this song. Um, so, yeah, the second clip's going to be a little bit later on in the in the song. Uh, but but a live version of it. So before yeah, before we talk about it, let's just play it. Yeah, this is one of those songs that um, I, I just have no idea what he's saying. But yeah, uh, I don't think any website that provides lyrics knows what the fuck he's saying either. Yeah, and and uh, you know, is he talking about a transvestite or is he talking about a transistor radio? That that debate has been had. Um, he talks about um, you know cranking up. Like a tranny on tin is what he says, and some people think that that's as in the volume knob cranked up to on ten, a transistor radio. which makes sense, yeah, because yeah. he says a white noise sound like a tranny on tin, right? But then he, uh, but then you've got your first line talking about cheap trick hookers hanging out at the bar in, in the Greyhound station. Either way, it, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. It really, it really doesn't. What matter. What I like, what the reason that this is my favorite song. Of their one of my favorite songs of theirs is the simplicity of it with it with it being so simple like you want to talk about this the the most simple drum beat imaginable basically you've just got a tambourine that he's hitting or, or his hi-hat just basically to to keep the beat that's pretty much it throughout the whole, the at least throughout the beginning of the song and uh, the clip that we showed you yeah so you've got 
the most dumbed down drum beat you could imagine. Um, same with the guitar lines, and and then the song builds up, but it still stays really really simple. But it just shows how you can have a really simple rock song that is really powerful and yeah uh there's definitely a uh, like a build and a uh climax for this song you know what i mean it's the same uh chorus yeah but each time it's uh sung with more uh, uh emotion yeah so yeah so again this is a this is just a clip from their set that they played at Bonnaroo in 2004. Um, and I know for a fact, uh, I looked it up, this was their closer, as in this was their encore closer for that set. So, um, yeah, so here's here's a little bit farther into the song. Uh, this is them playing live at Bonnaroo in 2004. get them goosebumplies dude every time well uh, actually watching the clip um i think helps to really understand and kind of feel the the power of their live performance because yeah. hearing it is one thing but seeing watching that clip right what it was like to see them back in 2003 2004 because we so we saw kings of leon every chance that we could after seeing them open for the Strokes, every time they came to the Dallas, that you know the DFW area, we saw them. And I remember they toured, you know, they opened for U two for like a handful of of sets on on this tour. That we like the last time that we saw them at a small venue. And I remember 
we were all thinking to ourselves like this well this is it like they're huge Dude, they're gonna be huge we, uh, now like we, this is we the last right, time we're man. gonna get to see them in a yeah. setting like this we were right did matthew tells a story of how he how he saw uh the edge of you two he saw his his uh, effects set up which as everybody knows you uh the edge is um his effect uh pedal board <laughs> i mean it's more than that like it's nothing but effects that's what for him. makes edge edge and then he saw uh, Benjamin Curtis of Secret Machines and saw his pedal boards and was like, oh, man, what's this all about? So, like, he wasn't even, like, it was new to him. So, again, it's like these guys really did, like, learn and and found out about rock as they went along. And then they started throwing this thing into the mix. And now their songs have, you know, a ton of effects on Basically... You know, they picked up an, a Boss ME50, which is a multi-effects processor, and just started playing around with it. And like, okay, well, now their songs have all, all these effects on, which is fine. Yeah, well, I actually, I I had meant to, I wanted to mention this earlier, but by the time they were, so they, they got signed to RCA in 2002, they hadn't, they had not played any gigs, and they were already signed to RCA, dude. Think about that. Yeah. Other okay, other than house shows where like they played for friends and, and like acquaintances, they hadn't played a proper gig and they were signed to RCA. So yeah, you're absolutely right, dude. They're they're being introduced to rock and roll and, and learning the ways of rock as they're doing it. Uh, yeah, after already uh, being uh, Yeah, that's one that's one hell of a way to learn about what an effects pedal is by seeing the edges boards backstage. Yeah. How many guitar players have that story to tell? Huh. Huh. By looking at, you know, arguably like the king of, of effects pedals, it's like, geez. All right. Well, so anyway. Um, so, yeah, you listen to that clip from, from 2004 at Bonnaroo. Um, I actually read a interview slash review of an album. Uh, I'm sorry, of a, of a concert that this so this um, journalist had went and saw them play in Amsterdam in 2004, and then it, met up with him and interviewed them after the show. And he describes the way that Caleb would sing back then and the way they performed. He describes it perfectly. He says Caleb sings like there's a loaded gun to his head, uh, and they they smash away at these songs like it's their last gig ever. Yeah, man. Absolutely. There's no other. That's the perfect way to describe Kings of Leon. Uh, you know their presence that they had when you saw them live. It was just like, just so genuine and raw. And yeah, it's it, really it's like, it's like you're you're playing the last show that you're ever gonna play. You know, sing your fucking heart out. Yeah, that's perfect, man. That's perfect. And I think. So, so the last song that we're going to play for y'all is track seven called Spiral Staircase. And, um, I mean, we're just, we're just like, like I said earlier, we're just going down the line as far as the track list, but it's fucking great that this is the last song that we're going to share because Spiral Staircase shows everything like early days, Kings of Leon with, with the influence that they had growing up with the way that 
he would sing um their song structure everything spiral staircase kind of shows all of it i think yeah and the and the the guitar riff uh especially toward the end is very very classic blues blues rock guitar riff so yeah, yeah i yeah, love this perfect, song so much perfect way to, to, to tie it all up yeah so let's hear it can understand every other word if that <laughs> but yeah his voice is just so great man uh again like you know just like that that gritty blues man you know dude i mean you you think back to to the pentecostal church like it's like he's yeah. being it's like he's being moved by the spirit you know he might as right. well be speaking sp- in tongues spirit of rock man he's being moved by the spirit of rock holy rolling man straight up yeah yeah you're right he probably learned uh, you know absorbed it by absolutely by osmosis man just like being in the yeah. church especially pentecostal like you said uh you know dude the church that you and i grew up in i want to talk about like fucking like tame prude Neutered. i guess <laughs> conservative yeah right yeah, we church wouldn't have picked up we wouldn't have picked up uh that kind of energy you know no at, way. At, at the services that we went to so yeah it, it, you know it all makes sense when you know the backstory so yeah, let's hear that second clip because I love I love the guitar work uh, that kind of closes out the song. Yeah, so the second clip is probably the bridge because we like to play clips of the bridge. Um, yeah, get, get you know you get to hear a little something different. And yeah, they they really do this um, this classic gospel song, stomp your feet, clap your hands, kind of thing. That's kind of how they they finish this song off. Um, it's fucking great. Yeah, here it is. Your body red and brown 
Spiral Staircase is my favorite Kings of Leon song, man. Really? I think it just encapsulates everything that they stood for when they burst onto the scene. And I think Spiral Staircase is probably one of the main reasons why so many people got excited about Kings of Leon back then. I don't know. I may be wrong, but God, I love that song, dude. Everything about it. Dude, I was going to say that's... I think RCA just had to hear that, and then it's no wonder they signed him without, you know, ha, you know, them having never toured before. Now, of course, they were signed on uh, with what with uh, with Holy Roller Novocaine, right? That's the, that was their uh, that was their little EP that they released in the same year. What was on that EP? So, uh, Holy Roller Novocaine was five songs. It had Molly's Chambers, Wasted Time, California Waiting. Wicker Chair, which is we're actually gonna we're gonna uh, share that song with with you all uh, for our bonus episode for this week. Uh, track five was Holy Roller and Overcane. So Spiral Circus was not on this EP. So they probably heard Molly's Chambers and were like, let's just let's, let's bring them on here because I think I think it they just had it everything you know they had the look. A lot of people, what's interesting, I, I heard and read that they were called the Southern Strokes, which I thought was interesting, and maybe it's because their songs were short and simple, like the Strokes were, but that's probably where where the comparisons would end for me. Yeah, I could see that being the reason, because there's no, yeah, where are they getting Strokes out of this? It's probably just the... You know the the, the retro uh, vibe, like the second that's the 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 secondhand store like clothing and stuff. Yeah. Oh, they definitely had the Strokes look. That's for sure. Right. And yeah, when we saw them open for the Strokes, I think all four of them were rocking handlebar mustaches and long hair and beards and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, they're like the Strokes yeah. with with beards as far as appearance looks. Right. The songs were way different though, but I can see why. And R- you know, Strokes were on RCA too. So right. And yeah. And the Strokes decided to bring them along for their Room on Fire tour. So, yeah, it makes sense that they would be... Well, yeah, that's probably because they were on the same label. Yeah. So as far as taking the world by storm, uh, I'd say they, they, they've definitely done it. Um, they actually... Yeah, the mission accomplished. Yeah, mission accomplished. So their album, Only by the Night, that came out in 2009, the first single on that album, you've probably heard it, Sex on Fire. They picked up a Grammy with that one, dude. Yeah. Hey, that's a great, that's a great, it's a catchy song. Catchy good, as hell, It's man. a good song. It's a great song. Yeah, it's a good song. Great song. Also, Aha Shake Heartbreak, which was studio album number two, came out just one year after Youth and Young Manhood. That's a fucking great record, man. <laughs> that is a great There's some one. great dude. songs on Ta- Aha Taper Shake Jean, Heartbreak. Taper Jean Girl. Pistol of Fire, Four Kicks. Uh, Milk. Yeah, man. There's some great songs on that. So that's our nostalgic look at Kings of Leon's debut album Youth and Young Manhood and again you can go to our website nofillerpodcast.com check out the show notes we'll have links to all of the articles and uh, interviews videos pictures stuff like that anything that we referenced on this episode uh, we'll link it for you in the on the website in the show notes and with every episode, as you know by now, I hope, we like to close out each episode with a song from an artist 
that either one or more or all of the band members hadn't were influenced by and so for them they listened to a lot of r&b uh quote-unquote black gospel old soul music when they were growing up uh they listened to a lot of chuck berry and um another artist called jimmy reed which i don't even i I hadn't hadn't even heard of this guy uh, but he was just a standard uh, go-to blues guitar slash harmonica player um, from the 50s and 60s. And they listened to a lot of him growing up. And so I went back and li- I listened to a, a bunch of his singles. And, you know, there's, there's a bunch of compilation albums on Jimmy Reed. Just your standard blues songs, like I said, but there's one song that I found that's that's pretty great. Um, it's got some awesome harmonica numbers on it, dude. That that's really cool. Let's hear it. Yeah, so this is this is one of his singles. Uh, it's called "I'm Going Upside Your Head." All right. So this has been a very blues centric episode, as as it should be, if we're going to talk about a band that we feel uh, was kind of a rock in its pure form um and so we're going to close out with another great blues track so that's it let's 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 close it out uh that'll do it this for for us this week uh this is no filler podcast and check back midweek for our sidetrack episode and uh that's it my name is travis and i'm quentin The night before, telling you right now, baby, I ain't gonna take it no more. You better help me, baby. You better leave what I say. If you don't drink no baby, honey, I'm going upside your head. Call you fine, you better help them to know, baby. You're mine, oh mine. You better hear me, baby. I believe what I say. You better believe me, baby. Now I'm going upside your head. I bought you a suit, baby.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 